man, I am telling you, I get excited about stuff like this. It is such a joy for me to do this. I love being with you guys. It's crazy. You wouldn't think that I can be this excited every weekend, but it is true. I love, love, love what God does with me through the week, through His Word as I prepare for you guys. What better place to be, right? What better place to be than here? So check it out. This is a special day for a couple reasons. Reason number one, it's the Daytona 500 today. So that's a good thing. I'm a NASCAR guy, so this starts the NASCAR season, so pretty juiced about that. Um, Pray for Kyle Busch. We're Kyle Busch fans. Don't hate. We pray for Kyle Busch all the time. God's doing a work in his life, uh, slowly. But anyway, um, it's also a great day because we are presenting um, Rob Johnson up for ordination. Um, Yeah, we're excited about that. In your bulletins or programs, there's a little uh, information in there about Rob and his wife, Erin, their daughter, Nora, and they are expecting twin boys in May. Oh, yeah. Life change. So, um, if you know of any reason why we should not be ordaining him as a pastor, the bulletin um, asks you to send me an email. My email address is provided for you there if you want to do that. So, um, yeah, really, really juiced about what God's doing there. Rob's been on staff for about four months. Um, Just an incredible man of God, a joy to work with. A really good fit for, for me and the other pastors, and we couldn't be more grateful for God's provision of him and his family. Um, the other thing uh, that is exciting about today is you get to hear me preach. Thank you. That was meant to be funny. Let me explain. Let me explain what that means so I can tell you why you should be excited. Because even if, as I often do, I fumble through it, there's nothing better than to be together to center our lives and our attentions on the Word of God. Amen? So that's why it's good to be here. Love you guys. We are in the book of Galatians. We're going to finish chapter 5. We have chapter 6, and then we're going to be done in a couple weeks with Galatians. And then off to the next thing. Um, Open, uh, if you will, your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5 while I get set up here. Okay, I think I'm good. I'm going to open with a question. And if you're like me, you like true-false questions because it increases our chances for success. True or false? When someone is provided with the proper and necessary information, they will always make a correct and wise decision. You guys are vocal. Last service, they just laughed. No one even actually said a word. They just all giggled, which I assume to mean false. It's false. It's totally false. Which is interesting, right? We have all the necessary and proper information. We still make poor decisions. What's that about? We're going to talk about that. Indulge me, if you will, while I reference the use of tobacco to make my point. Perhaps like you, I also have tobacco use on the resume of my past. It's true. I uh, had two strikes against me. I grew up in Chino, and I think there was a city ordinance that when you turn 12, you have to start chewing tobacco. Right, John? John grew up in Chino, too. It was like the 70s and 80s, right? You, either you had a cow or you had to act like you had a cow. And tobacco was like part of the deal. And then I played baseball. And if you played baseball, when you look at all the guys that are on TV, they all chew tobacco. Well, I want to be like them. So clearly, this makes total, this is a good career choice for me to chew tobacco. Silly, right? Nonetheless, there was never any doubt or confusion about whether it was good for me or not. It was evident that that was not a good choice for me to make. Here's some numbers. In the 20th century, tobacco use killed over 100 million people. 
it's trending in the 21st century to kill nearly 1 billion people. 80 to 100,000 people become addicted to tobacco every day. As mentioned, there was never any doubt or confusion about whether it was good for me or not. Is that not true for virtually everybody who uses tobacco? We know, and yet we choose anyway. I don't, I don't do it anymore, at least not while I preach. At all, just to be clear. Yet its use continues, right? Even though evidence suggests that it should not. But enough about physical matters. Certainly, spiritual matters would be much different, right? Well, we, well that's physical, but spiritual stuff. You just got to tell me what's right and what's wrong, and I'll be sure to do what's right, right? Giggle. Galatians. I mentioned this last week. Just a real quick overview of Galatians. Galatians has three parts. Part one was the personal side where Paul was defending his uh, message and his ministry. The second part was doctrinal. So it went from personal to doctrinal, that we are saved by grace through faith, not in our flesh, not by the law. And then the third part, and so parts one and two went from Galatians 1.1 to Galatians 5.12, which is where we finished two weeks ago. Last week we started what's called the practical part, part three. So personal, doctrinal, and now practical. And that started last week. How does this now apply to my life, essentially, right? And so that starts at Galatians 5.13, which we did last week. All right, so we're up to speed. Let me pray. Father, what a joy to be here. What a joy to gather as followers of Jesus Christ to focus on your word so that you can mold us and shape us and have your way with us so that we can be pleasing to you, that we can love and serve one another and not serve ourselves and live for ourselves. Lord, we thank you for this letter that Paul wrote to the Galatians. And as we get into the practical things, we pray that you indeed shape us accordingly. Have your way with us this morning, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. So we're in Galatians 5, 19 through 26, the last, whatever that is, eight verses. Let's read Galatians 5, 19 through 26. All right, we're good. I'm so excited. Galatians 5, starting in verse 19. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. They're obvious. And they are these. Immorality, which is sexual immorality. Impurity. Sensuality. Idolatry. Sorcery. Enmities. Strife. Jealousy. Outbursts of anger. Disputes. Dissensions. Factions. Envying. Drunkenness. Carousing. And things like these. Of which I forewarn you, Paul writes, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. It's not difficult to figure out that Paul is creating two different camps in those verses. Pretty simple to figure that out, right? The first camp is the flesh. And I think I mentioned last week that the Greek word is sarx, S-A-R-X. And that means sinful nature. 
So camp one is the flesh and its corresponding deeds that we read about in 19, 20, and 21. So the flesh, its corresponding deeds, we call that the sinful nature, and the mantra of that camp, the battle cry of that camp, is live for self. That's the mantra in the fleshly camp, the sinful nature camp. Live for self. And then the second camp starts in verse 22 into 23. That's the spirit and the corresponding deeds, or what's referred to here as fruit. That's the spiritual nature, not the sinful nature. The spiritual nature. And the mantra, if you remember from last week, is not the first camp, live for self. It's live to what? To serve. That's the mantra, the battle cry of the second camp. Live for self over here. Live to serve over here. And sometimes I think we, we, this is just an encouragement. We can get stuck in camp one and we give our lives to Christ and we want to get into camp two and then we try to get rid of all this stuff and it's like, well, I'll start doing camp two stuff. I'll start living to serve once I get rid of all this stuff in camp one. Just start loving and serving people. That'll help you stay out of camp one for crying out loud. You're going to do spiritual work and God will work that way in your lives. Don't wait to get everything together. If you were waiting for me to get it together or anybody else who stands up here, you wouldn't even be coming here except to eat. Right? I understand there's an element of, you know, having it together, I suppose, that I have to have. But you get what I'm saying, right? Start living in camp two. Start serving and loving one another. And watch what happens as God moves us out of camp one, that sinful nature, into a spiritual nature. Don't wait. So which camp are we called to? Look at verse 13. We went over this last week. Verse 13 of Galatians 5. For you and I were called to freedom. Okay. And then two camps are going to come up in this verse. Do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for sinful nature, camp one, but the spiritual nature through love to serve one another. And the key to all of this is found in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit of God, and you don't have to worry about being in camp one. You are now in camp two. Amen? Pretty clear stuff, right? John 14, 6. We mentioned this last week. We'll put it on the screen. Right? This is what God tells us. He tells us that we need help. He tells us we need help, and so He gives us the help that we need. He says, I'm going to ask the Father, and He will give you and I a helper. You and I desperately need help. And how long do we need help? Forever. He's going to send us the Holy Spirit forever because we need help forever. You need it today. You'll need it this afternoon. You'll need it tomorrow. You'll need it next weekend. You'll need it the month after that. We desperately need help. And then in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, what is this kind of help is this? It's powerful help. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. We are a powerful people. We are a powerful people. That's the way God intended for it to be. And I'm so grateful. So, we are to, as verse 16 says, and it also says that in verse 25, we are to walk by the Spirit. We are to walk by the Spirit. And what that means is keep on walking. Keep on depending. To live with a daily desperation, a daily desire, and a daily dependency upon the Holy Spirit of God. Because it's the power that you and I need, and it's the help that we so desperately need. I thought this was kind of cute, this little thing I'm about to say next. I think it just resonated for me. So we give our lives to Christ, right? And so here's what happens. This is what I wrote. 
Though we may have opened a new and shiny state-of-the-art faith factory, the flesh factory is still open and operating 24-7. So don't give the flesh factory any raw materials because it'll kick out a bunch of things that are listed in 1920 and 21 and things like these. Don't feed the flesh factory. Feed the faith factory and see what God kicks out. He's going to kick out those nine things that he mentions in verses 22 and 23. Here's the deal. As Christians, we can expect, I encourage you to understand, you can expect a lifelong battle for competing desires as verse 17 tells us that the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit sets its desire against the flesh so that you and I don't go around doing whatever the heck we please. That's what verse 17 says. We all possess an incredible capacity to serve God and righteousness, but we also have an incredible capacity to serve ourselves and to serve sin. But unlike our tobacco example, which simply has physical implications, that's it. The deeds of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit has spiritual implications. We better pay attention. Here's our outline. These verses I divided up this way. The fleshly deeds, which we just read. The spiritual fruit, which we just read. Belonging, verse 24 says, Now those who belong to Christ, they've crucified the flesh. Hmm. So our belonging, and then verses 25 and 26, if we live, let us then walk by the Spirit. So our first stanza, stanza one is fleshly deeds. Fleshly deeds. Let's reread verses 19, 20, and 21. Now the deeds of the flesh are obvious, evident. They are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envy and drunkenness, carousing, and a bunch of other stuff, of which I forewarn you, as I forewarned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So here's the breakdown. I like this breakdown. The first three that are listed starting in verse 19 are sexual sins. It's sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality. The first three are sexual sins. The next two are religious sins, idolatry and sorcery. The next eight, which I think is telling, the next eight are social evils or social sins. Enmities, right? Strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, and envying. The sinful nature is responsible for the breakdown of relationships in homes, in churches, and in society in general. It's true, right? Because that's what it says. It's the deeds of the flesh. Those aren't the deeds of the Spirit. And then the fourth, the last two, are associated with alcohol. As you can see, drunkenness and carousing. And really, on some level, there's a fifth category, and it comes right after carousing when it says, and things like these. Right? So you got those four folders, and then you got this massive folder called, and things like these. So if I didn't mention one of yours, it goes in that folder, and things like these. Okay? All right. The enemy, the point of all that is the enemy is enormously creative. He's enormously creative to trip us up. 1 Peter 5.8 says as much. We are to be sober of spirit, to be intent with the spirit, to be dialed in with the spirit. Be on the alert. Be sober of spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And with whatever creativity that he can and will use to muster up to get you to trip and fall, that's exactly what he'll do. So, 
Let me give you an example. And this is just a glimpse. Trust me when I say this is just a glimpse. Let's talk about a few of these things that fall into all these categories. Sexual immorality. Marriages where one or both spouses admit, which means some people don't admit. The ones that admit to infidelity is 41% of all marriages. Men and women who admit to committing infidelity in any relationship they've ever had is 60% for both men and women. Pornography. Every second, 28,000 people watch porn. 28,000 people every second do the math. 35% of all internet downloads are related to porn. 2.5 billion emails are sent or received every day that contain pornography. Lord help us. The deeds of the flesh are evident. Alcohol. It's the third highest cause of death in the United States. Approximately 17% of men and 8% of women will be dependent upon alcohol in their lifetime. 17% is 1 out of 6. 17 times 6 is 102. So it's almost, right? So anyway, <laughs> I love math. So one out, So you go to Target and you see six men. One of them is dependent upon alcohol. Either was, currently is, or will be. 1 out of 6. You go to Target and you see 12 women. One out of those 12 is, or was, or will be dependent upon alcohol. The deeds of the flesh are evident. That's a lot. Drunk driving costs the U.S. approximately $200 billion a year. What about war? Since 3600 B.C., the world has known less than 300 years of peace. During this period, there have been 14,531 wars in which 3,640,000,000 people have died as a result of those wars. What about Satanism? Yeah, yeah, that's a thing. Those who practice Satan worship, they adore Satan, they give him spiritual authority, they pray to him, they have ceremonies centered around him. Anton LaVey started the Satanic Church of America in 1966. The Satanic Bible that he wrote has sold millions of copies. If you want one, just go to Amazon.com. Seriously, crazy, right? So what are some, some of the takeaways? Truly, here's the first one. Truly, as verse 19 tells us, the deeds of the flesh are obvious. Pretty gnarly out there. We aren't fooling anyone, church, when we pretend that we are somehow innocent in our sin, in the deeds of our sinful nature. Second takeaway, not only are the deeds of the flesh obvious or evident, they also have serious consequences. And that's what verse 21, the latter half says, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those are some pretty serious consequences. These three verses, 19, 20, and 21, say this. It is obvious when we choose to practice our sinful nature and that when we do so, we are also making the choice to reject the kingdom of God and by doing so, right? It is obvious when we choose to practice our sinful nature and that when we do so, we are also making the choice to reject the kingdom of God. That's what those three verses tell us. But the third takeaway we have to understand in order to understand these verses. The key word is the word Paul uses. What do you think that key word is in verse 21? Those who what? Practice. That's the key word to understanding 19, 20, and 21. The key word in Paul's warning is practice, which means it translates a continuous, habitual, ongoing action. That's what it means. Habitual practice reveals a person as unregenerate. Unregenerate means unsaved, essentially. Habitual practice of fleshly deeds reveals that a person is unregenerate and therefore barred from entrance into the kingdom of God. 
That's what it says. Scripture, you've got to understand this too, Scripture always assesses our character on the basis of a person's, a person's character, on the basis of their common habitual actions, not their occasional ones. If we don't understand that, we're going to miss this point. Scripture always assesses a person's character on the basis of their common habitual actions, not on their occasional ones. The unregenerate person occasionally does good things. And the regenerate, saved person, <coughs> occasionally falls into sin. We understand this, right? This is not news to us, I don't think. <coughs> People who habitually indulge in sin reveal that they really are not a child of God. Those who habitually do good reveal that they are child or children of God or disciples. Makes sense, right? Turn to 1 John chapter 3. First John chapter 3, verses 4 and 10. First John's to the right of Galatians. The book of Revelation is the last book. It's right before Revelation. You have this little book called Jude, which is one chapter, and before that you get first, second, and third John. First John three, starting in verse four. <coughs> to help us understand what Paul's saying about verses nineteen, twenty, and twenty one of Galatians five. Verse four. Everyone not most people, not some people, not a lot of people, but everyone, all people. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. None of us, no one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin <laughs> is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this very purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who was born of God practices sin, because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. And so by this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Which is what Galatians says, evident. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. What an interesting last addition. We're to serve, to love God, and we display that by loving our brother and sister in Christ. So that was our first stanza. Our second stanza, spiritual fruit. Let's go back to Galatians 5 and reread Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. The spiritual fruit. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. This list just feels so much nicer. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control against such things there is no law so here's the three categories that I, there's three in each category the first three qualities is, this is my take on it 
express the Godward aspect of the Christian life. The first three qualities express the Godward aspect of the Christian life. The next three express the manward aspect of the Christian life. And the final three qualities are selfward. Okay? What a contrast from that list in 1920 and 21. It just is a lot nicer. It's kind of like a Disneyland ride, right? The fruit of the Spirit is a little bit like going to Disneyland. Everything's just perfect, right? As verse 16 indicates, church, there's no need for us to display those things in verses 19, 20, and 21. There's no reason for it. That's what verse 16 tells us. Look at verse 16. Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. You don't have to worry about that list in 19, 20, and 21. Rather, by the Spirit's power, we can manifest the nine graces that are listed in 22 and 23, which is why I thought it was cute to say that's how we are to be dressed to the nines. Right? To be dressed to perfection. Get dressed every day in the nine qualities. Get dressed to the nines. Put on the Holy Spirit. Let the qualities of the Holy Spirit, those nine qualities, just permeate your life by depending upon Him. What a great verse, verse 16 is. Let me read it again. Church, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. So here's the question about verse 16. Do you believe it? Do you believe that verse? Do you believe verse 16? If you walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Are we willing to proclaim and live by this truth? Because... When we don't live by this truth, it's one of two things. If we don't live by the truth of verse 16, that we walk in the Spirit, we get dressed to the nines, we don't have to worry about the deeds of the flesh in those three verses, 19 through 21. If we don't do that, according to what verse 16 promises promises us, one of two things. A, we are not believing something to be true that God declared to be true. And that's verse 16. If we're not living according to verse 16, it's because we don't believe God's telling us the truth. We think, well, that can't be true. So that's one option. We don't believe God. We don't believe something to be true that He declared to be true. The second option is this. We're being willfully willfully disobedient to this truth in order to carry out the desires of our flesh. That's it. Those are the two choices. Either you don't believe God's telling you the truth about something He declares to be true, or you're deciding to be willfully disobedient. And then you live out the deeds of the flesh. In both those cases, you need to be honest with God about that. You need to repent and confess and get that corrected with God. Amen? This fruit that's listed in verses 22 and 23 is not produced by us. Who is it produced by? Holy Spirit. You ain't going to get any of that stuff what Scripture says. The fruit of the Spirit. Not the fruit of your life with the Holy Spirit's help. It's the fruit of the Spirit as the Spirit lives inside us, as we give Him permission in our lives. Turn to John chapter 15, a little to your left. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John before Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John 15, verses 1 through 8. John 15, starting in verse 1. Jesus says, and some of us know these verses. He says, I'm the true vine. My father's the vine dresser. 
Every branch, that's you and I, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Because that means essentially that we don't belong to him. And every branch that bears fruit, ooh, he prunes us. Mm. Sweet, it's loving, it's hard, but it's necessary. Why? He prunes us so that you may bear more fruit. Isn't that beautiful? You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. Oh, church, we've got to do whatever it takes to abide in God. I believe we come here as part of the way that we abide. I believe we pray, however often we pray. You need to pray as a, as a means of abiding, right? You need to serve one another as a means of abiding. We need to be in relationship with one another as a means of abiding. We need to do things like we do in Honduras and whatever that looks like as a means of abiding. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you and I bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. So check it out. Go back to Galatians 5, obviously. If you notice in verse 19, it says, Now the deeds of the flesh. There's an S at the end of deeds, right? But in verse 22, it says, But the fruit. There's no S. Not the fruits. It's the fruit. It's singular. The word fruit is singular. What that means is what? All of these qualities should be found in us when we walk by the power of the Holy Spirit. All of them. It's all part of the fruit. Those qualities are part of the fruit of the Spirit of God. Those qualities of the nine that are listed here that are found in your life, you and I, I praise the Lord for those. Whatever of those nine that you have in your life, praise God. But those that are not found of those nine in your life, that's problematic, isn't it? Those that are not found, you need to acknowledge, I need to acknowledge, confess and repent that you are not allowing them in your life. You are rebelling against God. It's singular. All of them. The fruit is simply the life of Christ and the method whereby Christ is formed in us. 2 Corinthians 3.8 says it this way, that all of us, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being what? We are being transformed. We have chosen a life of transformation. How long does transformation take? Is it quick or is it a little bit on the slower side? And for some of you, it's a little slower than others. And I'm probably in that camp, right? It's okay. That's just the deal. Transformation is not a quick process. I love the word transformation. If we understand that we are being transformed, we should be encouraged by that. It's a process, and it's not a fast one. Change. 
we can change a lot of things. Change, I can change this today. 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 Transformation, that's a process. It's a process. And so, I beg of you. I encourage you. I challenge you. And I assure you that you can believe in that transformation process that we just posted on the screen. Don't give up. Don't give in. Hang in there with God as He transforms you. Amen? What's the last, what's the last quality listed in verse 23? What's the last one? Self-control. There's no surprise really that that's listed last. And let me tell you why. This quality, self-control, really means self-mastery. How often do we give our lives... Who, who do you know that gives their lives to Christ and immediately they have self-control? <laughs> right? It just doesn't happen. It's part of the transformation process. I, I think that if... when we, <laughs> Yeah, forget it. Okay, so... This quality represents self-mastery and no doubt relates to curbing the fleshly impulses that were mentioned in verses 19, 20, and 21. And yet, I wonder if we think or hope or expect it to come first and so we end up getting discouraged in our walk with God. He says, it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. And I love at the end of verse 23 where he writes, against such things there is no law. Paul understates this fact in a huge understatement. He asserts by that verse, that obviously no one would make laws against people who practice any of those nine things. Right? And so it's like, hey, Manny. <laughs> Manny happens to be in law enforcement, so this is going to be cute. Hey, Manny, we've got to take you to jail, my friend. You're way too nice. You're just too loving. That's what it says. There's no law against those nine things. You're too loving. We're going to have to put you away for three to five. Right? T, you're being way too patient. We're going to have to take you in. You know, roll your thumbprints. Kind of, right? It's silly. That is so cool. That's what that verse means. Against such things, there is no law. These unmatched, godly principles that are listed here in 22 and 23 find footing both in heaven and on earth, and there's no law against them. That we can practice these things. And so what that does is it kind of, it kind of uh, helps us understand all of Galatians. All of Galatians is about freedom that we have in Christ. And there's no law against the fruits of the Spirit. That's beautiful. We can be truly free when we're living a spirit-led life because against such things, there's no law. We are now free when we put our trust and our faith in Jesus Christ and we are infused with the power of the Holy Spirit because, doggone it, we need the help. But thank God we're free. There's no law against us. Oh, so excited. Third stanza, belonging. Galatians 5, verse 24. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Let me make you uncomfortable if I haven't done so already. So somebody says to you, are you a Christian? Oh yeah, so you belong to Jesus Christ. Yes, I do. Oh, so you have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, I see. Well, no, I have not. But that's what your Bible says. You just said that you belong to Jesus Christ, and your Bible says that if you do belong to Jesus Christ, you have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. I'm a little warm, right? It makes us a little warm. Like that's an uncomfortable thing if we were challenged in that way. Do you belong to Jesus Christ? Because if you do, you have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Hmm. We do not need to be responsive 
to the sinful nature that's listed in 1920. We don't have to respond to those things. that's, That's not a part of our lives. Paul even says that earlier in the book of Galatians. Go to chapter 2, verse 20 in Galatians. Paul writes about this earlier in the letter. He says in verse 20 of chapter 2, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. He also writes about it in the book of Romans. Go to Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, a little to your left. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and Romans 6, 1 through 6. If we belong to Him, then we have crucified the flesh with all of its desires and passions. Romans 6, starting in verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that God's grace may increase? No, may it never be. How, how, how shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, we've been baptized into His death. Therefore we have been buried with Him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in a new life. For if we have become united with Him in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. So, back to Galatians 5, verse 16. Walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. How does this truth grab us? How does that truth of verse 16, how does that grab us? Does it bring comfort by empowering us? Or discomfort by convicting us. I hope it brings comfort by empowering us. And lastly, our fourth stanza, walking, verses 25 and 26. Let's read those. Galatians 5, 25 and 26. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging each other and envying each other. So, you guys ever heard, you know, uh, um, what it means to be an enabler? Is it usually good or usually bad to enable somebody? Bad, right? Bad. Oh, they're, you know, they're being an enabler. I got bad news for you. God is an enabler. Uh Uh-oh, we're in trouble, right? Like, well, how is that possible? God is an enabler. God is an enabler. Let me explain. It's pretty cool. Paul, as we just read, reminded the Galatians in 19 through 21, right, that in addition to a divine judgment, and the judgment is what? That they will not inherit the kingdom of God if they practice these things, right? So Paul reminds the Galatians that in addition to a divine judgment, there is also a divine enablement in the person of the Holy Spirit. God is enabling us. Oh, I'm living all spiritual. And God's like, well, I just keep enabling you. I keep giving you my Holy Spirit so you can blame me. I keep living a Spirit-led life. I keep kicking out you know, the fruit of the Spirit. God's like, well, it's my fault. I'm enabling you. I keep giving you the Holy Spirit. Isn't that cool? God's an enabler. Man, I'm juiced about that. Verse 25 says, let us walk by the Spirit. That means to follow the Spirit. It means to keep in step with the Spirit. To keep in step. Isn't that our journey with God? 
It's just like we're putting one foot in front of the other. Okay, whoa, right? I'm doing good. This is just our journey. That's been my journey. For 37 years, that's been my journey. That's what it means to be in step with the Spirit of God. Just to keep in step. Are you willing to engage in a step-by-step process with God? I hope you are. I believe you are. How often, if ever, do you look back and realize just how many steps you've taken already? Look back once in a while. It's okay. And say, God, you've taken me so far. I've been walking with you for a long time. It's okay to look back and say, I can't believe I've gone this far. I want to encourage you. Many of you, perhaps all of you, have taken so many steps. Praise God for that. Philippians 1.6 puts it this way. When Paul writes to the churches at Philippi, he says it brilliantly. He says, I am confident of this very thing, church, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it one step at a time until the day of Christ Jesus. So here's how I want to wrap this up. The Lord knows our sin problem. And so He provided Jesus Christ to save us. The Lord knew we had a sin problem. That sin separated us from God. And so God knew our sin problem and He sent Christ to save us. And now God knows we have a sin propensity. Even though we're saved and we got out of the sin problem, now we have the sin propensity. And so He sends what? His Holy Spirit to do what? To sanctify us. We have a sin problem. He sends His Son to save us. We have a sin propensity. He sends the Holy Spirit to sanctify us. To help us because we need help. To empower us because we can only do these kind of things when we're empowered by the Spirit of God. God is so good to us. He is so good to us. He's lavishing Himself upon us by giving us us His Son and giving us His Holy Spirit. Amen? I'm going to pray. And then if you need prayer, our prayer team will be available over here in the corner. Let me pray. Lord, we humbly bow our hearts before you for how generous and how good you are to us. Lord, we desperately need a daily outpouring of your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come inside of us that we indeed can produce the fruit of the Spirit and not the deeds of the flesh. We thank you for the promises of your word. We love you and we give you all the glory that's due your name. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen.